know about you, but I have. How many of you have some Easter traditions that you grew up with or you do with your family? You know, I saw, I, I've been, I was in the South Auditorium for worship, most of the worship today. I was watching these cute little girls come in and they're matching dresses and families. And I just thought that was just so wonderful and how fun we, we have those days with our daughters. I'm doing Easter eggs and Easter egg hunts and all the fun stuff that goes with Easter. I, I, uh, I, I just love it. My, our kids growing up in church and going to this thing called the Passion Play that we used to do like five or six nights in a row. How many of you remember that? How many of you were in it? A couple of you. Good. Okay. Well, you'll remember some of these things. Well, our kids got so used to seeing the Passion Play that they would actually come home. You know, they're seven, five, three, and they'll say, let's, pay, let's play Passion Play. And they go downstairs. I think they just wanted to crucify each other is basically the bottom line. But, but that was a tradition. We have a video of our kids putting our son on the cross. It's pretty cool. I, I love the story of a, a Sunday school teacher who said to their class, why don't you write down one sentence of what Easter really means to you? And then I'll read them in the class. She was reading through them, and one little girl had written... It means egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. <laughs> How many of you relate to that one? <laughs> Lots, a lot of stuff, a lot of traditions, you know, a lot of things even around Timberline that we've done for years. And, and I love the empowerment that I feel of us gathering together in the name of Jesus to, to declare it. I think about Jesus coming back alive again. The mystery of death. I read a little article about three guys who had a discussion about how they wanted to be remembered after they died. And they said, what do you want to have said at your funeral? And one of them immediately said, I want him to say something like, he was a great humanitarian. He cared about his community. They said, that's good. And another one spoke up and said, I want him to say he was a great husband and father. He was an example for people to follow. The other guy was kind of quiet for a while, and they said, so what do you want them to say at your funeral? And he said, you know, I want him to say something like, look, he's moving. <laughs> that would freak you out. We have a story here that says, look, he's moving. That's our story. Can you imagine... What it must have been like in that grave when there is a dead body laying on that slab that has been prepared for death and the presence of Almighty God visits that dark cave and the illumination of the glory of God meets the soul of the Son of God and He wakes up and takes a breath and the light of God is there. And he literally gets up and folds those death clothes and lays them there on that stone. I just can't comprehend it. And yet we have this life in us now. This Holy Spirit in us now. I think about this. I love this quote. This is a quote from N.T. Wright. It says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project not to snatch people away from earth, to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. I love that. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Say it with me. Thy kingdom come. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through three people in the Easter story. Now, I put their names already in your notes. If you have a program, you can follow along on the back. And at least then you'll know when I'm almost done. That will give you hope. Now, there are so many characters in the Easter story, it's phenomenal. You, you have politicians you can choose from, kings. You have people of great influence. You have children you can choose from. You have the common man. You have, there, it, it's, it's endless. And I was thinking a lot about, I just need to pick three. And Peter came to my mind right away because he's a big character in the Easter story. He's involved multiple places. And I'm just picking one place with Peter. And the reality that I want you to write down for Peter in the part of the story I'm going to use him is this. I cannot save the world. I cannot save others. Peter had this idea that he could be the Savior in this part of the story. He was actually going to attempt to save Jesus. Jesus was dying to save us, and Peter is going to try to save Jesus. It was a good idea, but Jesus didn't really need him to do that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's a fascinating story. But Peter is one of those guys who was always jumping out there. He's the guy getting out of the boat. Let me walk to you on the water. He's the guy that has this impulsive, spontaneous personality that wants to be right in the middle of everything. He's the one that speaks sometimes before he thinks it through. He makes promises that he didn't keep. But he's honest with himself. And this is his story in Easter. In John 18, verse 10, it says this, Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now here's what's happened. Jesus has been in Gethsemane with His disciples praying. Remember the story? Let me just build it for you so you have it in your mind. Jesus goes up a little head and He prays and He says to His disciples, pray with me, wait with me, tarry with me is the word. And they say, sure, and then they go to sleep. And he's praying, he's suffering. You guys, this is the moment when he actually sweats great drops of blood. There's stress and anxiety on Jesus. He's facing the cup of sin of the world. He comes back and says to his disciples, wake up, I need you. I need you to pray with me. Come on, pray. He goes back, he prays again. This is the time when he actually says to the Father, let this cup pass for me. Is there another way? He goes back. They're sleeping again. Finally, he just says, forget it. And at that moment, they are coming to arrest him. The Roman guards in a line marching. And guess who's leading the way? What's his name? Judas. Judas is leading the way. The disciples are scurrying around. They're standing probably around Jesus. Judas comes up and... One of the greatest intimate moments for a friendship in that culture would be a kiss on the cheek. But Judas said, I will kiss him as an act of betrayal. You will know this is Jesus because of the darkness in the, in the garden. He kisses Jesus on the cheek. The guards start to arrest him. The whole thing goes crazy. It's a moment of flurry. And I can just imagine everyone's moving, looking for posturing. Is there going to be a fight? Now, the disciples and most common people carried what they called daggers. They would either carry them in a sheath on their belt or down the middle of their back in a sheath. And, and who knows where Peter pulled this out, 
They also had swords, but this was probably more like a dagger, which would be about this long. And Malchus is right in the front of the line, who is the slave of the king. And, and Peter doesn't even think, he just reacts. And he pulls out this sword, and he takes a swing. Now he's going to cut off his head. Most scholars believe he's going for the neck. And he takes a swipe, but Malchus is quick. And Malchus ducks probably this way because it says it was his right ear. And off comes his ear. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around. I've never been around something quite this graphic in a moment like this. And I can't imagine those guards are pulling out their swords and spears are getting pointed everywhere. And Malchus is holding the side of his head. And Jesus is probably going, whoa, 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 everybody. Peter, this, this is the plan. Don't you know that I have to go through this And Peter's standing there with his sword, kind of like, come on, I'll take all of you. And Jesus, in this moment, this blows my mind. He reaches down to the ground. I don't know if he has someone here. Hand me a torch. We've got to find this ear. He's about to be beaten and crucified and die. And he cares about one of the soldiers who came to arrest him, to kill him. I don't have that in me. Jesus stops and they find the ear, the Bible says. And Jesus holds it in His hand. I've never held an ear before. I mean, this is graphic. <laughs> I thought of this last service. I don't know why I shouldn't say it. Probably. I, don't, I hope this isn't irreverent. If he, if he would have had a piano, he could have played by ear for the first time. <laughs> I know that's bad. Don't write me. Don't email me. I am not the devil. Jesus is holding an ear in His hand and He gets enough light from the torches to somehow ask this man to come back over to Him and entrust His head to Him. And He places this ear back in there and probably covers it with His hand. I don't know if He says a prayer. But it just says he healed him and his ear was completely restored. When I, when I think of that act of kindness, when he has been stressed to the point of death and about to go face the cross, only the Son of God would have that in his heart. Peter, what were you thinking? I, I love some of these qualities in Peter. Let me just list a few. He was willing to fight. You know, I like hanging out with people who are passionate and who are willing to put their back on the wall to, for the cause. I like that. I'm a little like that myself. I'm very loyal. He was willing to give his life. He knew when he pulled his sword that this could mean his death, but he was willing to face that. He was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to offer himself. These are all great qualities, but here's what I must realize. Here's what he didn't quite see. God had a plan that was bigger than Peter saving the world. God has a plan sometimes that's bigger than you having to figure it all out by yourself. Sometimes my best intentions are not the best idea. I have limitations that are real. I was in a situation not too long ago where someone locked their keys in their car. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of old school when it comes to this. I'm like, okay, let's bust a window. 
You know, let's get in there. Anybody have a hammer? And they're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. And they got their cell phone out and made a call. Click, someone unlocked the door. I'm like, was that God? <laughs> Who can do that? How many of you can unlock your car with a phone call? See, look around. Man, I want your car. This is phenomenal. This, but, but this is the picture. This is, this is what happens is, is I make a mistake. I have a, something in mind and I've got the crowbar out and I'm ready to make it happen. And God's like, give me a call. I've got, I've got the answer. Just give me a call. Hello? Oh, no, I got it here. I got it. I got me a sledge in the truck. I have limitations. God is a big God. I must trust Him even when I don't see His ways. The next character in the story is, is two of them, the thieves on the cross with Jesus. They're dying together. The traditional pictures that you see of Jesus in the middle with a thief on each side comes from the reality that these thieves were next to Him on the mount when He was dying. And they actually had a conversation with Him and with each other. And so this is a biblical account of what's happened. Here's the reality I want you to write down. I cannot save myself. Not only can I not save others, but I can't save myself. And this is a huge problem in our, in our culture today, of people thinking that they can save themselves. Now, I'm just going to read the story as it happens. Jesus is on the cross. He's going to die before long. And this conversation busts out with these thieves on the cross, and then it involves Jesus. In Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is, like, this is like a parable of two thieves. It's fascinating to me that the first thief mentioned in the Bible is the selfish one, very self-centered. One thief is living for the now and wants to get out, out of this situation. The other sees a bigger picture. One is demanding. One is respectful. One is self-centered. One is realistic. And this story unfolds. I was thinking about how we fit in this story. Because in a sense, we're the thieves on the cross. What is it that makes people become sarcastic? What was going on in the spirit of that thief who lashed out at Jesus? Aren't you the Messiah? Basically mocking the fact that He could be the Son of God. Questioning the identity of Jesus. He says, prove yourself. If you're the Son of God, get us off of this cross. I, I always think of back to the passion play that I was talking about. We did this for years. And one time, it only happened once that I remember, but one time we had this exact scene going on. Jesus is up there. We had the thieves on the cross. And one of the thieves was really passionate and he would shake the cross. And he came to this part in the play and he literally said, If you're the Christ, 
get us off of this cross. And when he did, he jerked his arm and the thing that they used to hold him came undone from the cross. And his arm came out and boom, he fell right down onto the floor. And the audience is like, oh, go Jesus. Wow. (laughs) Except I don't think that's supposed to happen. The funniest part was seeing him try to climb back on the cross. Excuse me, folks. I love passion plays. He was basically saying, deliver me if you're God. Me, 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 me. Do you have any of that in you? Do you ever get sarcastic or angry or frustrated? No one else gets it right. They only knew what they were doing. Wow. The other one, though, just the opposite. Look at, look at his sensitivity. He senses the urgency of this moment. He knows he's going to die, and he knows he's got someone next to him with a lot of power. I don't know how he knows it, but he knows it. He's really respectful. He actually defends Jesus. He says to the other thief, basically, be quiet. We're getting what we deserve. Don't talk like that. He acknowledges his guilt. He says, I know what I have done is wrong. I'm getting what I deserve. That's a pretty good starting place for all of us today. He becomes others-focused. He actually defends Jesus saying, leave him alone. And then he has this seed of faith when he says, Jesus, would you by chance remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in my kingdom. Think of this. We go from Malchus with this ear being restored to being on the cross. Look, this is, this is a tough moment. He's dying. He's bleeding. He's wounded. He's been beaten. And while he's dying for the sins of the world, that's a pretty big job. He's talking to this one guy. That's the Son of God who cares about one. If you have an identity crisis today, and you think Jesus doesn't know who you are or care about you, that you're not worth it, you do not understand the Son of God because He put His life on that cross for you and you are worth it. He declared it. So get over it. Accept forgiveness. Accept that you have a God that loves you and has a plan for your life. It's amazing to me people who who think that they can get their life together. As a pastor, I hear people say sometimes, well, I'm working on it. Once I get my life in order a little bit, then, then I promise I'll come to church. And I'm like, oh, you don't get it. You, you, can't, you can't get it all together and then come to God because you need God to get it all together. I, I've been golfing before with some guys that they put me with. and It's always awkward being a pastor because, you know, they're cussing and telling you really dirty jokes and you get about to the eighth hole and they say, so what do you do anyway? (laughs) I'm an electrician. (laughs) It's just easier. No, I usually say, I'm a pastor of a church and they're like, oh, sorry, we didn't didn't know. We didn't know, sorry. I hope you're not offended. I'm like, it's who you are. Why are you sorry when you found that out? 
I'll tell you why. Because we think we have to act a certain way. Jesus doesn't want you acting. He wants you to be real. He wants you to bring all your stuff. And we all have it. We all have a past. We all have hidden pain. We all have this stuff that's deep in us. And he's saying, don't clean it up before you come to me. Just bring it to me and I'll help you. And we'll go on a journey together and we'll clean it up. That's what Easter really is. It's powerful. What do I need to learn? I can't fix myself. We all have a sin problem and we need a Savior. I love this quote, Susan Gaddis. Love paid a price so hope could become a reality. Love paid a price so hope could become a reality. Let's look at the third character in our story. This one called the centurion. We don't really know his name. We know him through his role. Now, the reality that I've put down for him is that I can trust the revelation of truth in my heart. When the spirit man reveals something to you, it is God speaking truth in your life. And I believe that happens to people. I believe there are moments when the the presence of God comes and visits you. And I believe it happened to this centurion. Now, a centurion, it's really important for us to get this. These were Roman military men who were proven in battle. Centurion mean they led a hundred or more soldiers. They're not rookies. They didn't just start. A centurion that would be placed at a crucifixion scene like this because of the the hassles. The Jews wanted him dead. The Romans weren't sure. There's all this political stuff going on. I guarantee you, the people in charge picked one of their best centurions to make sure this happened well. This is a guy who could take control and take you out. No telling how many crucifixions he has done. It could be hundreds So here, get that picture in your mind before we read what he says. This is not a soft-hearted, kind guy. This is a guy that goes around and if they're not dead in a few days, pokes a spear up through their ribs into their heart so they'll bleed out. This is a guy who if they still don't bleed out, he'll come with a club and break their knees so their legs are broken and they can't be supported on the cross and they will finally just suffocate. This is a guy who has done that. There's no soft touch in him. And yet, look at what happens in this moment. Mark 15, verse 39. Then the Roman officer who stood facing him, he's standing up looking at a dead Jesus. Jesus has just died. He saw how he died. Boy, that is a big, that's a big statement. He saw how he died and he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. How did he know? He witnessed this death. How was this death so different than hundreds of others? Do you know that this is the first proclamation of Jesus being the Son of God after His death? A centurion. The guy who killed Him. That's powerful. What happened in that centurion to lead Him to do and to say something like that? I've thought about this. 
as deeply as I possibly can. What did he see that was so different? Because it said when he saw how he died. You know, maybe people who don't believe in Jesus really don't see how he died. Maybe they don't really see. Maybe they don't look close enough to really understand what happened. This guy was up and close and personal. I think there are several things he saw. I think he saw that Jesus had a willingness to die. I don't think that was common. The Bible says he laid down his life for his friends. I don't think centurions were used to that. I think he saw the depth of purpose as to why Jesus laid his life down. I don't think he was used to that either. He saw love in the eyes of Jesus. I can't imagine that ever before he ever heard someone say on the cross, dying a crucified death, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Those are big words in the pain of the moment. The soldier's probably going, gulp? Never heard that one before. He saw suffering. He inflicted pain. And he saw humility. At the end, he saw Jesus standing in front of him saying, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Something clicked. As Jesus breathed his last, this centurion walks up and looks in the face of Jesus and makes this declaration. This man is the Son of God. That's why I believe it. That's why you can believe it. It isn't just Jesus who said it. It's a whole lot of other people who said it. People up close and personal. You know, when I look at this story and I think the question is, who are you in the story? Which one of these people best describes you? The answer, I think, is probably that we have a little bit of all of these in us. Some of you are pretty impulsive and you want to get out there and, and, and Peter's your hero and, and you might have wanted to pull out a sword. I can see that in me sometimes. I can see that sarcastic guy on the cross when you get, you get the raw end of the stick, the bad end, the dirty end. People are blaming you for something you didn't do and it's easy to lash out. It's easy to want someone else to, to get you out of the mess you've created and get sarcastic and bitter. Have you been there? I've been there. And then I have those moments of reality where that thief I relate to that says, wow, I just, I just need for God to help me out of this situation. But I definitely relate to the centurion. Because I have declared, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And you guys, I believe it with all of my heart. That's a revelation of truth. I want to read to you and then we'll pray. The resurrection story. After he died this gruesome death, they put him in a grave. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, 
Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as He said would happen. Come see where His body was laying. And He took Him in there and, and they saw. And now go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead and He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see Him there. Remember what I have told you. I feel like He's saying it to us. Remember what I have told you. He was dead, but He has risen from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord, there is hope for mankind. Thank You. Thank You that there is this amazing ability that You have to speak to us. That our spirit man can be open to the voice of a divine God who takes time for one. Be it to repair an ear or to help a guy off of the cross into eternity. You'll take time for me. You'll take time for every person in this room. You'll take time for the world today as we call out your name. With heads bowed, if you know you're separated from God, I just simply want to pray for you and over you. Maybe Easter is one of those times you come to church and you're not much of a churchgoer after that. I get that. I don't condemn you for that. I'm just really glad you're here. But I'll tell you this. God wants to be full-time in your heart and life and mind and spirit. He wants you to have Him every day, everywhere, in every way. And He's available to you. And it just if you haven't started this journey, I just I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray it that simply says, I need a Savior. I can't fix myself. And maybe you have a horrible, addictive lifestyle and you know you need a Savior. Or maybe you're really a good person with a great job and you help others and you're making a difference in the world. You still need a Savior. You can't fix the sin problem. Jesus can. And Jesus did. Let that revelation open your heart. Say this with me. If you know that's you in any of these auditoriums, on this Easter, 2014, Lord, I declare my faith in you. I need forgiveness of my sin problem and the issues in my life, and I commit them to you right now. I do step forward and say that I proclaim you are the Son of God died on the cross for my sin and risen from the dead. I believe it today. Help me to walk with you the rest of my life and to make the changes that you'll help me with for my future. In Jesus' name. Secondly, I want to pray for those of you that just find yourself in a situation that is bigger than you. The thief on the cross said, I can't fix this. Peter tried, but Jesus basically said, Peter, you can't fix this. The centurion couldn't go back and undo the wounds and bring life back to Jesus. He couldn't fix it. He could only acknowledge what had happened. Some of you are in that place right now. Look, I'm in a situation. I can't fix this. I need God. I need the redeeming, the redeeming power of a God who loves me. And I'm going to trust Him when I raise my hand. And I'm going to give Him this situation. He needs the keys. He's got the button. I can't get in there. Hold your hand up. I'm going to pray over you if that's you right now. God bless you. Okay. Lord, thank you for these who just simply say, I can't fix this. I'm trusting you anyway. You're a bigger God. You know the stuff. You hold the keys. You have the button. And I'm going to trust you. 
Show me how to stay out of the way and show me how to partner with you for the things that I should be doing. Show me how to be proactive in the right way. But mostly let me depend on you for all things. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you want to pray with someone about any need in your life, also, if you've made a decision to follow Christ today, we have a new believer packet. They're on both sides of the stage. We just invite you to come up and get one. If you want to talk with someone, great. If you don't, we understand a lot of stuff in here that will help you get started. Um, Otherwise, I want us to declare it one more time. You ready? He is risen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Remember, the service starts now. Go make a difference. Thanks for coming to Timberline. Happy Easter.